1912, a London bookseller acquired a manuscript as part of a much larger collection of rare books. Nothing unusual there, but this collection was different, and so was this manuscript. At the time, he didn't know what he had in his possession. This manuscript had not been seen for over 200 years. After he unearthed it, it became a text of enormous interest to scientists, historians, academics and the public alike, because it was quite simply a mystery. Elements of his history have been painstakingly pieced together, but the true purpose of the book, its origin and its meaning, have confounded all who have studied it. This is the story of the Voynich Manuscript. I'm Leanne Walker and this is Wonder, the show where each week I bring you tales of wonder and curiosity from across the globe about the people, places and events that shape our daily lives. The Voynich Manuscript, or Manuscript 408 as it's catalogued, is a collection of over 230 pages of text, illustrations, symbols and notations that has beguiled, intrigued and baffled many over the centuries. It's currently housed at the Beinecke Rare Book and Manuscripts Library at Yale University, where it has been since 1969. The Voynich Manuscript is a parchment codex, 9 inches by 5.5, with approximately 232 pages, there's believed to be about 14 pages missing. Its cover, also in parchment, is blank, with no title or author. The first page contains only four brief paragraphs of text, without pictures. The last page shows a few lines of writing near the top, in a different script or mixture of scripts than the bulk of the text, along with a few symbols and some sketchy drawings of animals, people and objects. The manuscript is written in an elegant, but otherwise unknown script. Nearly every page contains botanical, figurative and scientific drawings, drawn in ink with vibrant watercolours in various shades of blue, red, yellow, brown and green. Based on the subject matter of the drawings, the contents of the manuscript fall into six distinct sections a herbal or botanical section, with drawings of herbs, some of which look realistic, others completely imaginary, an astronomical section with illustrations of the sun, the moon, the stars, and zodiac symbols such as Pisces, Taurus and Sagittarius, a cosmological section that has mostly circular drawings, a biological section with figures of humans, strange drawings mostly of women with swollen abdomens, a pharmaceutical section with drawings of blue and red and green jars with various herbs or small parts of herbs, leaves and roots that have been set beside them, and a recipe section that contains over 300 short paragraphs, each accompanied by the drawing of a star in the margin. The sheets are a mix of single sheets, folded sheets and extended sheets. It's believed that the sheets were bound in a thin vellum at a much later date, and as stated, there's no title or author or any other description on the cover that gives us any kind of clue. Almost the entire text of the Voynich manuscript is written in a script that's not found in any other surviving document. The very few examples of Latin writing are either in the margins and look as though they've probably been added at a later date. Most of the text has been written line by line, 
probably from top to bottom and from left to right. And on the herbal pages especially, the text carefully avoids the illustrations that suggests that possibly the illustrations were on the page before the written text. In 2009, the parchment of the manuscript was radiocarbon dated, using carefully extracted pieces of the parchment from five different pages. The results were surprising, because many had suggested that from the illustrations that the manuscript had been produced somewhere in the 16th or 17th centuries, but the carbon dating came back with a date range of 1404 to 1438 with 95% confidence. I have a link to that study in the show notes. The pigments were examined as well, and these concurred with the previous radiocarbon analysis. There's no evidence of any modern ink, pigments or other materials. They're all of the 14th and 15th century. Both the pigments and the parchment were expensive to acquire at that time, so it's thought whomever created the manuscript was someone of means. More recently, a scientific team in Manchester in England used amino acid sequencing, and this confirmed that the manuscript's parchment was made from calf skin, and that the manuscript itself would need at least 14 to 15 calf skins. The techniques used to construct the manuscript, for example the way that the bindings composed, were also consistent with 15th century bookmaking according to the Yale researchers. So we know that the manuscript was produced about six or seven hundred years ago and by someone of means, but the content still remains a mystery. As mentioned before, the manuscript surfaced again in 1912 when Wilfred Voynich, a rare books bookseller based in London, acquired it as part of a larger set of rare books and manuscripts from Italy. But who was Wilfred Voynich and how did he come to be buying books in Italy at this time? Wilfred Michael Voynich was born in 1865 as Michal Habdank in Telchi, now present-day Lithuania, into a Polish noble family. He was an intelligent man, studying at the universities of Warsaw, St. Petersburg and Moscow. He graduated from Moscow University with a chemistry degree and became a pharmacist. He was also a young man with strong political views. While a student at the University of Moscow in 1884, Wojnik joined the Polish nationalist movement. A year later, he was arrested and accused of engaging in revolutionary activity. He spent 18 months jailed in the Warsaw Citadel and was sentenced without trial to five years' exile in Siberia. Because of this imprisonment, he contracted tuberculosis. Wojnik escaped in 1890 and eventually reached Germany, where he sold off the last of his possessions to pay for a berth aboard a merchant ship to England. In London, Voynich quickly became part of the circle of Russian political exiles, including his future wife, Ethel Boom, and worked for a period translating and publishing revolutionary propaganda for distribution in Russia. Looking for work, Wilfred chose to become an antiquarian book dealer, selecting this career on the recommendation of Richard Garnett, keeper of printed books at the British Museum. Garnett told Wilfred that being a bookseller enabled him to travel, picking up books wherever he may find them, bringing them back for sale in London, where there was always a ready market for them. Wilfred Voynich was a very intelligent man. He spoke 18 languages, and this would stand him in good stead on his travels. He was also very charming, made a good salesman, 
and he had strong business skills, which made him an ideal bookseller. In 1900, he opened his first bookstore in Soho Square in London and soon became very successful. Wilfred and Ethel married in 1902, having lived together for some time, which may be connected to his successful application for British citizenship in 1904. At this time, he officially adopted the name Wilfred Voynich. Following up on the advice of Garnet, Wilfred became a regular visitor to the continent, in particular to Italy. He bought large quantities of old books and manuscripts from religious houses and other places. Initially, he did most of his business with the British Museum, and then in 1908 he acquired an antiquarian bookstore in Florence. Around 1911, the Jesuit father, Joseph Strickland, who was an ex-alumnus of and still associated with Mondragone College, Villa Mondragone in Frascati in Italy, was also working in Florence. How the two men met each other is not known, but in 1911, Voynich came to acquire a number of valuable manuscripts on Father Strickland's recommendation, but under the promise of absolute secrecy about the deal. The collection for sale consisted of approximately 380 manuscripts and some 30 printed books. Voynich profited well from this collection, with several prize volumes that he sold for a good sum to various American institutions. When Voynich discovered that World War I was about to break out, he stopped his trips to the continent and so any future purchases or acquisitions of books came to a halt. He decided to leave Europe and go to the United States and made his first voyage to New York City in November 1914, crossing the Atlantic on the Lusitania. His home base then became New York, gradually transferring his stock across the Atlantic. He brought his prime collection of manuscripts and early printed books over in January 1915. His wife, Ethel, emigrated to New York about five years later, and it was then that Anne Nill became Voynich's new secretary and managed the New York office of his book business. He did keep a small shop in London, though. Voynich took the manuscript to London in 1912, and later he brought it to the United States. He kept the origin of the manuscript secret until his death, as he had promised to do so by the owner of the book. This was part of a larger collection. There were some theories that the reason he wanted to do this was because it was a fake produced by him, but this was later discounted. Towards the end of the 1920s, both his business and his health started to deteriorate. The physical hardships he'd endured as a prisoner in Poland and Siberia had taken their toll. His lungs were badly damaged by tuberculosis, and in 1929 he contracted pneumonia, from which he would never recover. He died on the 19th of March, 1930. His longtime secretary manager, Anne Nill, became Ethel's companion. Two women lived together for 30 years in an apartment in the heart of Manhattan, continuing Voynich's rare book business with moderate success. Ethel died in 1960, and Anne Nill in 1961. After Wilfred's death, the manuscript stayed with Ethel until her death in 1960. It then passed to Anne Nill. She'd been co-owner of the manuscript. Ethel left a letter to be opened on her death that gave the information about the source of the manuscript coming from Frascati in Italy. 
Anne received this letter and the provenance was passed with the manuscript when she came to sell it. She sold it to Hans Kreis, a New York antiquarian bookseller, for $24,500 and half of any future profit. Sadly, though, she died three months after that sale in 1961. Kreis valued the manuscript at $160,000 but couldn't sell it, so eventually he presented it to the Beinach Rare Book Library at Yale in 1969, where it remains today, known as Manuscript 408. It was only in 1919, seven years after acquiring the manuscript, that Wilfred Voynich really became interested in the history of the manuscript. In his research, he found two very significant points to its history. Between the pages of the manuscript is a letter from Johannes Marcus Marcy in Prague. In this letter, Marcy presents the book to the Jesuit Athanasius Kircher in Rome. Marcy was a Prague physician and scientist and had been a faithful correspondent of Athanasius Kircher for 25 years. In the letter, Marcy explains how he had inherited the manuscript from a close friend who had tried to decipher it until the end of his life and had also asked for Kircher's help. This friend was Georgius Bartius. Marcy had the manuscript until 1666. He was the official physician to Emperor Rudolf II of Bohemia, the Holy Roman Emperor. The letter confirms that the manuscript was sold to Rudolf II for 600 ducats, but when that happened, nobody knows. The other find by Wilfred was when he was creating copies of the first page, he found a signature in the corner. It read, Jacobus Horsiki de Tepenes. Jacobus Horsiki looked after Emperor Rudolf's botanical gardens and alchemical laboratory and was associated with Rudolf's court from 1608 to 1611. He was born as Jakob Horsaki in a poor family, raised by the Jesuits, and eventually became a successful and wealthy chemist and a pharmacist at Rudolf's court. According to tradition, in 1608, he cured Rudolf from a grave disease and consequently became a favourite of the emperor. This may be apocryphal, but he was certainly raised to the minor nobility in that year and was allowed to call himself de Tepenes. It may be that the emperor gave the manuscript to Jakob. He wrote his name in the bottom margin using the noble form of Jacobus Horsigi de Tepenes, so he must have done that after 1608. Jakob died in 1622 and the manuscript disappeared from the record until 1637, when it reappeared in the possession of an alchemist named Georgius Bartius, who kept it until 1645 when he passed it to Marcy and then on to Kircher. After the mid-17th century, it disappeared until 1912, when it was passed to Wilfred Voynich in Frascati in Italy. It is known that in 1620, the owners of the Villa Mondragoni bequeathed the Mondragoni Library to the Vatican Library. The manuscript has attracted the attention of code-breaking experts ever since 1917, and in the 1940s and in the 1960s, the eminent cryptologists William F. Friedman and Elizabeth Smith Friedman made several attempts at deciphering its text, but they could never find a solution. The manuscript remained an object of fascination after arriving at the Beinecke Library at Yale. For example, the National Security Agency published a study in 1978 titled 
The Voynich Manuscript and Elegant Enigma by cryptologist Mary D'Imperio, which was recently declassified and is available online. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. It makes interesting reading. The manuscript has appeared in novels and inspired orchestral compositions. Enthusiasts across the globe puzzle over its contents, attempting to make sense of a text that has bewildered some of the 20th century's most accomplished cryptologists. In recent years, Yale University Press and the Bionic Library have published a photo facsimile edition of the manuscript with explanatory essays providing historical context. This gives the public a new way to get to know and understand the manuscript. According to the Binex web data, about half of all the traffic to its online collections involves pages of Voynich manuscripts such as the interest. To this day, the manuscript remains an enigma. It is beautiful, colourful and mysterious. It has been examined by some of the greatest cryptologists, scientists and historians, and no one yet has provided a concrete answer to its purpose, its content or its origin. There are amateur sleuths all over the world that come up with their theories on the manuscript. Indeed, in September 2017, there was wide publicity following an article in the Times Literary Supplement stating the script had been deciphered and the mystery solved. It took only three days for that to be overturned and a retraction published. The Voynich manuscript could be a true work of genius and beauty. It could be a fake, or it could be a cipher. No one knows. And that is the wonder of it. Thanks for listening. For more information, links and sources, head on over to www.injustoneday.com forward slash manuscript. Keep in touch via social media or email hello at injustoneday.com. This is the last episode of Season 2. Thanks for being here. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've certainly enjoyed bringing these stories to you. I'll be back in the new year with a preview of Season 3, but until then, have a great festive season and best wishes to you and yours.